welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we conclude our series on spiritual gifts. Pastor Roy will be looking at the mission and the message of spiritual gifts, as well as looking at how our personalities affect how we use our spiritual gifts. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along. Half up our... Uh, talks on uh, spiritual gifts today. There's always more than can be said, and it uh, seems like you can get in, uh, but we're going to try to do that. Um, where is Albert sitting? There he is. Good to see you, brother. Wonderful to have you back in the fellowship. It's been a long time. I visited Albert a few times, and every time he was kind of sitting in that same chair. Uh, it takes a lot of... Uh, endurance and grace but thank the lord you're here this morning and daryl's here good to see you as well brother and uh, continue to pray for nyla she uh, had a stent put in i had a chat with her yesterday on the telephone and and uh, possibly coming home today but continue to pray for her and of course wayne hofer too recovering from knee replacement and randy keating uh, if you want to remember him that's erica's dad um, and some of you have met penny uh, her mom uh, Randy is Erica's dad. He's having a shoulder replacement tomorrow, uh, so be praying uh, for him as well. Well, today I titled the message, uh, Mission and Message. Uh, the story is told about a pastor. He got up to preach uh, one Sunday morning, and he apologized. He had a bandage on his uh, face, and he apologized for having a band-aid on, and, and uh, he said he was thinking about his sermon, and... Uh, he cut his face, and uh, after the service, the treasurer was counting up all the money, and he found a note in the offering, and it said, next time, the pastor needs to think about his face and cut the sermon. So <laughs> I know some people think that way, you know, it's like he needs to cut the sermon, and I, in fact, I've heard pastors uh, sometimes, and I'm sure you have too, it's like they can't seem to find a landing place, so they just kind of keep circling around the runway and trying to find a place to land. So hopefully today as we finish up that we will find a place to, to land today. I started off with this. Uh, spiritual gifts are given to complete one mission, share one message through one body, working together in a spirit of unity. That's really what it's all about. One mission, one message, one body, spirit of unity. That's what God wants us to do. And so we're going to kind of look at these. One mission to make disciples locally and globally. God told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them about Jesus Christ. That should be the focus of our spiritual gifts, whether it's serving gifts or speaking gifts, that we are to be busy about making disciples, telling people about Jesus, um, and making disciples, followers of Jesus. One message to share the gospel of Christ. There's not many messages, there's one. There's one Bible, one Lord, one God. Um, so one message that we have to share, the gospel of Christ. We don't have to make it up, it's already given to us, divine, God's divine revelation. And it is anointed, it is supernatural, it is powerful. As we looked last week, it can cut to the heart of man. And that's why we share that message. There's also one body, the church of Jesus Christ, one body. 
and a spirit of unity, there's a oneness uh, with that. The mission for us provides the focus of our energy and our activity. There's a focus when we have a mission, one mission. It gives us the focus. The message produces the fruit uh, for that mission as we share the message of Jesus Christ. William Carey, who is called the father of modern missions, he took the gospel to India. He's called the father of modern missions. He served the Lord in India for many years. He gradually became very concerned about the attitude of his son, Felix. The young man had promised to become a missionary, but he reneged on his vows when he was appointed an ambassador to Burma by the Queen of England. Carey wrote to his friend asking prayer for his son with these words, Pray for Felix. He has degenerated into an ambassador of the British government when he should be serving the king of kings. And I think about that, that so many people are selling out their spiritual gifts for some material, earthly, temporal thing instead of giving their lives, as we sang about this morning, I run to you, I give all of myself to you and giving it to the Lord to use for his honor and glory. Every time I think about this church, I get excited about the potential. I, 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 you know, as I pray and I think about young couples that God has blessed in our church, we have been blessed in this church with many young couples. And, and God has gifted them and equipped them, and I'm excited about the future, about what God wants to do. And listen to the voices, little kids, too. Awana, we have, I mean, we're just busting at the seams with Awana. And so there's so much that God wants to do in that one body, with that one mission, with that one message, in a spirit of unity. Well, I want to go on and just talk about some others, uh, the function again. We're going to finish up talking about the individual gifts, and then I want to transfer into talking about personalities, because with our gifting, we also have a personality that God has given us, and we all have different personalities, and each one of them has strengths and weaknesses. But let's finish up talking about the different uh, spiritual gifts. Um, one is wisdom. It talks about the utterance of wisdom in 1 Corinthians 12. It's a special ability to comprehend God's word and skillfully apply it to life situations. These people make excellent counselors and, and to help people. Uh, when people have questions and they need to try to understand God's word, they seem to know where to turn and not only where to turn and what scripture to use, but how to apply it to their life situation, when they're going through a struggle, when they're going through difficulty, they just seem to know where to go. You know, somebody comes in and they're anxious and they're, they're really struggling with life and, and all tied up with anxiety and they take them right away and to Philippians chapter 4 where it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so they seem to know how to do that. And God has given them that wonderful utterance of wisdom to be able to do that. Practical wisdom applying to everyday events. Stephen, the Bible says, was a man full of wisdom. We looked at him back in Acts chapter 6. Solomon was also given the gift of wisdom in the Old Testament as he wrote all the Proverbs and things that he wrote. Another one is knowledge. Knowledge is the unique ability to understand and speak God's truth. 
Some people are very gifted. God has given them a special means to understand His Word, uh, His written revelation, and they are able to gather that. Not everybody with the gift of knowledge, though, has the ability to dispense it. Um, I had some professors who had incredible knowledge, but they couldn't seem to get it from here out, you know. And so they had this special ability to gather information, but they may not necessarily be the one to share it. Uh, but they're great at research, they're great at finding out information, and wonderful at knowledge. And yet we need every one of these uh, in the church. Another one is distinguishing between spirits. This person can recognize truth from error. Now this was especially important in the first century because they did not have a completed copy of the Bible. There weren't many books at all. Uh, actually in print, so because they wrote by hand and on little scrolls and papyrus and things like that, so it was especially important in the first century to be able to discern truth from error. It's still important today as well, but we have the whole copy of the Word of God. So these people are able to distinguish truth from error. Um, they can quickly recognize something that is contrary to sound doctrine. You'll also remember in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira came to bring a gift to the church. They had sold property, and they wanted to bring, and they, they, they pretended they were giving all their money to the church, and they weren't. They were being deceitful. And what did Peter do? Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart that you would lie to the Holy Spirit? What did Peter, what gift did he demonstrate distinguishing between spirits? He also demonstrated leadership, that he was correcting and steering the ship, steering the church, exhortation to get them to do the right thing. So he exercised many gifts in confronting Ananias and Sapphira. Paul warned Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely uh, to be able to distinguish between truth from error. People with the gift of discernment are able to guard the truth and protect people from embracing lies and accepting corrupt doctrine. Paul also recognized this in an evil spirit in a slave girl in Acts 16. When they were heading to a prayer meeting, after several days of this girl following them and making false statements, Paul turned to her and here's what he said to her. He said to the evil spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. But what I want you to notice is, Paul says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, what was Paul doing with his gift? He's pointing toward Christ, not toward himself. And I think that's important. Thirdly, hospitality. Now, hospitality probably would not be in a normal list if you look at a list, but again, I, I don't think the lists are necessarily exhaustive in the Bible. This is actually a little bit later in Romans chapter 12 where it talks about them showing hospitality to the saints. But I think there are special people who have a special ability to show hospitality and especially a knack of making strangers feel welcome. They just have a gift and an ability to make them feel welcome. They can take people into their home. They can seem to whip up a meal out of nowhere or a snack or something and just make them feel welcome. And that is a wonderful gift. And boy, do we need those kind of people in the church, don't we, to reach out to visitors and new people. And some people are very intimidated by that. Others absolutely thrive on it. And so it's a wonderful gift to have in the church. 
where they make people feel welcome. It brings joy to them, and they take a genuine interest in other people. Miracles. Now, when I share these, these would be classified as, as sign gifts or temporary gifts. Does God still perform miracles today? Yes, He can. However, the miracles that were performed here were through individuals. And I think God can perform a miracle without going through the agency of a human individual. But these were extraordinary, unexplainable events that manifest supernatural power that God did. Feeding the 5,000, you know, multiplying the loaves and fishes. Absolutely unexplainable how God did that. Walking on the water, you know, all those things that God did were miracles that he performed. And oftentimes he would perform these miracles when he was, he was taking the gospel into a new region to authenticate the message. And so since the message has spread throughout the world, God can still do miracles, but he doesn't do them near as often. You see them starting to fade even in the New Testament. We see mainly those miracles happening in the gospels. And in Matthew 8, we see the story of Jesus uh, calming the waves. And he stands up and he rebukes the, the waves and the wind uh, supernaturally. But his power and presence is displayed through his miracles. God can still perform them, but I don't think he does it to the same degree that he did in Bible times. Same thing with healings. Healings is immediate and complete physical or mental restorations that are circumvented, should say, that are circumvented or interrupted natural laws. Uh, God is able to do that again. We see that in Acts chapter 3, the healing of the lame man, uh, where he healed the deaf, he healed the blind. Um, healings took place. Oftentimes, though, he even used the disciples to do that. Again, can God perform healing today? Yes, but I don't think he needs a faith healer. You say, well, what about those faith healers on television? I say the same thing. What about those faith healers on television? I think there's, it seems to be, that seems to be the focus of their ministry, and they're not pointing to Christ. And so I think these healings were something that God did supernaturally through human agency, but he doesn't do it through human agency uh, today. It says in Acts 3.16, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. I just want to point out two things in this verse. It says, his name by faith in his name. Again, he's pointing toward Christ. And then he says, the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health. He's pointing to Jesus. And I think that's what's uh, vital in that. All right, I'm just going to mention speaking in tongues. I don't want to launch into a big, long uh, dissertation on this, but I do want to make three statements that I think can kind of encapsulate, and I pulled these uh, from Chuck Swindoll, and I think these are really good statements to help us. Um, certainly, there'll be in maybe another time to get in this deeper, but this will at least help us um, in this. Speaking in tongues doesn't edify the church, but the ministry of the Word does. It only edifies the individual. And so that's why we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. We're not here to edify the individual. We're here to edify God and His Word. 
And so obviously there's a lot more that could be said about that, but 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 2 through 5 talks about that, the prophecy, sharing God's word. It doesn't edify the church, the ministry of the word does. Secondly, speaking in tongues doesn't benefit the church, but the ministry of the word does. And that's why we focus on the ministry of the word of God and not some extra somebody speaking something. We're focusing on the ministry of the word of God. And then thirdly, speaking in tongues doesn't instruct the church, but the ministry of the word does. 1 Corinthians 14, 19. Paul said he'd rather speak five words in an intelligent language than a thousand or however many it is in an unknown language. Uh, to again, to benefit the body of Christ. So those are three statements that I think are, are helpful. And again, we can say, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, when the uh, Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak, the Bible says in other tongues, they were speaking in a known language. A known language, it was not their native tongue, they were speaking in another language, but it was a known foreign language, not some gibberish um, that many people would ascribe to. All right, why know your personality? I think this is important um, as we move forward. Um, in Isaiah 64, 8, and actually this is kind of our memory verse uh, for this week. Isaiah 64, 8, so it's in the top of the bulletin there. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. We are all the work of your hand. And so because of that, God has given us and made us all unique and different. And I want to give you five reasons why we should know our personality. Number one, to better accept ourselves as God made us. God made us this way. Now, it doesn't mean that if we have all these weaknesses, well, that's because God made me that way. That's why I have all those weaknesses. You've got to put up with them. Well, we do have to put up with one another's uh, weaknesses, uh, but we should be seeking to grow and learn. So to accept ourselves as God made us. Number two, to better understand and relate to others. God has made us with a particular bent. Remember the scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. When it says train up a child in the way he should go, notice it doesn't say in the way the parents think he should go. <laughs> it says in the way he should go because God has given them a bent, a personality, and spiritual gifts to use. And our responsibility as parents or grandparents is to try to pave that way for them. To say, hey, go in the gifting that God has given you. And one of our prayers for our boys, young in life, was that they would early in life know the gifts and talents God has given them and pursue that to their God-given potential. And so we're thankful that, you know, Ryan is studying for ministry and Brandon wants to be a Christian filmmaker, and, and we're thankful for that. And whether or not that'll be tweaked or changed, that's fine, but they're getting the, the training and, and kind of having a, a direction. Thirdly, to better understand the importance of the team and our need for others. Because I don't have all the gifts. I don't have all the spiritual gifts. 
The pastor doesn't get them all. He needs people in the body. We need one another. You don't have all the gifts, so we need one another uh, in the body of Christ, the importance of the team aspect. And that's what brings in the unity and the value of every member serving together. Um, and we're, you're going to see when we look at these four personality types, we need all four of them operating in the church. But with that, there'll be challenges too. Number four, to know, better know how to serve the Lord. Uh, when we understand our gifting and our ability, our strengths and our weaknesses, it can help us in knowing how better to serve the Lord. And five, to know our weaknesses and commit them to the Holy Spirit's control. So with that being said, I want to talk about the various personalities. And again, it says, Isaiah 64, 8, Now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are our potter, we are all the work of your hand. God has fashioned us the way he wanted us to be the passions he's given us, the gifts and abilities he's given us, whether it's speaking gifts or serving gifts to use in the body of Christ. Okay, personality types. The first one is choleric. These are the doers and the leaders. These are the movers and the shakers. I mean, they like to get out. They love challenge. They love um, to lead. They love authority. Uh, they love to exercise that. They don't mind making decisions. In fact, they can make decisions on the spot, it seems like. They have endless ideas. They like freedom. They like difficult assignments. They like variety, opportunity for advancement. Um, are all these things that they enjoy. Here are some biblical models, Saul, Peter, and Paul. And you can see in each one of these, remember Saul, he got out ahead of the Lord, didn't he? Remember? Well, let me go make the sacrifice. I'm, I, you know, Samuel's late, you know, or whatever. And so we can, we can do that. We can get ahead of the Lord. And that can be a weakness for a choleric is just running ahead. And they're like a bull in a china shop. They just run people over. Their motto is lead, follower, get out of the way. <laughs> and so, but do we need leaders to lead? Yeah, because nothing gets done. If you sit around for a bunch of phlegmatics to make a decision... They're so indecisive. You know, if you have two phlegmatics married to each other, they're so laid back. It's like, where do you want to eat? Well, I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. And they starve to death before they decide where they want to eat. So somebody's got to make a decision. And that's the cholerics. They're doers. They're leaders. They, and they have insight. And they're able to take charge and direct people and organize people. And that's a wonderful thing. And we need that. They're results-oriented. They question the status quo. They're very independent. They're problem solvers. They're critical thinkers. They're determined, persistent, confident, organized. But they're also opinionated. <laughs> and, but they manage trouble. They're risk takers. So those are a lot of strengths. But here's some of the weaknesses. Now, understand, the strengths should encourage us, right? But the weaknesses should keep us humble. Okay, so it's not to, you know, totally deflate us. And, and again, these are generalities. These are not, you know, well, boy, you know, uh, these are generalities. They can tend not to be sympathetic because they are more project-driven than people-driven. They're driven by the project. Let's get this thing done. 
Don't care how many people we got to run over, we're going to get it done because they're doers. So they tend not to think about the feelings or thoughts of other people. They could be insensitive, impatient, inflexible, difficulty in trusting others. They can have outbursts of anger as well. Hey, it's my way or the highway, you know. Um, and they just like to get things done. They can even sometimes want to break the rules to get things accomplished. So those are some things that can happen. Um, so how can they improve in their leadership, in their doing, in their leading? They can improve by being more sensitive to people, to listen more, be less authoritarian, and be more willing to gather the facts. So not be so much of a hurry <laughs> that you're running out there leaving scraps all over the place. Uh, so, but do we need, we absolutely need clerics in the church to lead. Um, nothing would get done or accomplished. All right, secondly, sanguine. These are the influencers and the expressors. These people can sell you swampland in Florida and make you think you're getting a good deal. I mean, they could announce a blood drive and you'd want to give about three or four pints. They just, they just motivate, they influence, they inspire people, they encourage them, and they make everything sound exciting. They're the life of the party. They're the social butterfly. They'll come into a room of 60 people and they'll know all 60 people within about an hour because they'll talk to every one of them. But you know what? That makes a warm church. When you got people like that who are warm and social butterflies, they make people feel welcome and warm. You need those kind of people in the church. They are vital. A biblical model would be John Mark uh, who was like that. They like to influence others to accomplish results. They like opportunities to speak. They like social recognition. They tend to be very popular. They don't like control and details. Don't put them to manage uh, the finances of the church because they don't care less about numbers. They'll just, whatever, you know. Give them plenty of coffee breaks, right? Because they, they want to chat. I mean, you know. It's been an hour, let's have coffee, you know, let's chat. Because that's the way they are. They, 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 they're very verbal and very people-oriented, and they're not as project-driven. So look, now, now you've got a project-driven person and a cleric, and you've got this people person over here, and all of a sudden you've got this friction. Man, this guy just wants to sit around and talk, and he wants to swing the hammer. Boom, you've got some tension, some friction. They're both needed, but they both have gifting. You know, you got them working on the farm, you may want to have them be the PR guy and not the guy out in the field because they're probably going to be talking to the cows even. I don't know. They just like to talk. So the sanguine is very important. They generate excitement. They motivate others. New and exciting, innovative programs. They're least effective working alone because, see, they can talk on the phone for 20 minutes before they realize it's the wrong number. I mean, they just, you know, they love to talk. Uh, and they're very good at it. So working alone, administration of details, discipline of others is not their ideal situation. They can improve by slowing down, being more realistic, and having greater concern for details. Because they're not worried about details, you know. 
They're the type that throw their spouse into a panic. Hey, we got 20 people coming over tonight for a little fellowship. <laughs> Wife's like, say what? <laughs> I don't have things picked up and ready. I mean, they just love to be together with people. But we need these people in the church. Uh, because sometimes churches said it's not friendly, it's not welcoming, it's not inviting. And these are the people who do that. And they do it very, very well. Thirdly, the phlegmatic. These are the relators, the dependable people. By the way, how many clerics do we have here? Tendencies. And, and you usually have a combination. Any clerics here? All right. See, clerics usually have any clerics here? No, that's, that's me. <laughs> Quick. Um, how about sanguines? All right. Awesome. Hope your spouse knows that about you. Thirdly, the phlegmatics, the relators, the dependables, these kind of even out the clerics and the sanguines. <laughs> They're bouncing off the walls, and the phlegmatic person is kind of, hey, calm, cool, collected, laid back. We don't get it done today. We'll get it done tomorrow. We don't get it done tomorrow. We'll get it done next week. We don't get it done next week. We'll do it next month. What's the hurry? What's the rush? Let's enjoy the journey. They like routine, but they're very faithful people. Biblical models would be Abraham and Ruth. Just steady eddies. Um, very balanced. They relate well with others in accomplishing a task. They need time to adjust. Don't just come in and throw a bunch of stuff at them and expect them to turn around and do everything. Uh, they need appreciation, work patterns, uh, limited territory, um, because they can get overwhelmed easily throwing too many things at them. But they are very accurate, they are calm, they are capable, they are loyal. They're a team player, they listen well, they're focused, they're warm, they're patient, predictable, dry sense of humor, natural peacemaker. So wonderful, do we need these in the church? Yeah, to balance out the cholerics and the, the uh, sanguines. So they do very well with routine and following procedures, projects to help others. Their least effective is when there's quick changes. Uh, if they have to work on a variety of projects. Uh, how do they improve? They can be more self-confident, take more risks, and initiate more and be more assertive. Because they tend not to want to get out of that box or that routine. Um, and stick with what they they know. So they can come across as very slow. So now you got this choleric just driving, you know, going 90 miles an hour, and you got the phlegmatic back here going about 25. <laughs> and this choleric is absolutely frustrated at this guy. Why is he moving so slow? Well, for him, that's 90. Okay? That's just the way he's built. He's not in a hurry. Um, and so learning how to get along uh, in the body of Christ. And you could see these, and in, in every one of these were in the, in the body of Christ, even back in the first century. The melancholy. The melancholy are the thinkers and the analysts. They tend to be very perfectionistic. If you go to their desk and open their desk drawer, their pencils will be lined up according to size. You know, everything's color-coordinated. Everything, all the shirts are over here in the closet. All the pants are over here. All the suit jackets are over here. I mean, everything is labeled in its place. 
You know, it's, it's like the book in my office uh, that says, a neat desk is the sign of a sick mind. You know, <laughs> they are so neat. I mean, they are just beyond reasonable, almost. Uh, but they are so perfectionistic. They like accuracy. It's not 634. It's 634.273. Let's get it right. Uh, quality and accomplishing a task. They're detailed. They're factual. They're accurate. They're creative, loyal, sensitive. They enjoy the fine arts as well. Because they don't just look at that picture, they study that picture and they see things in that picture. Uh, little things that we wouldn't even think about. Um, they analyze things. And so they're very good at that. If there's one misspelled word up there, they're going to see it in a heartbeat. Um, they'll see that. They can tend to be pessimistic, easily offended, um, too detailed overly cautious, dominated by feelings, judgmental because nobody can rise up to their level and standard of perfection, um, suspicious, pessimistic, and maybe not make friends too easily because of that. They can improve by being more direct and more optimistic. The glass isn't always half empty. <laughs> Sometimes it's half full. Uh, so they can be more optimistic, more tolerant, less critical of others, and more confidence in their own judgment. And so the reason I share these with you because I think these are tied into our spiritual gifts, and I think it's important for us to understand that. And so I would encourage you to think about these, and not just to pass judgment on somebody else, uh, but to truly try to understand them better and where they're coming from. Trying to look at it from their perspective and not your own. We all have different perspectives. And we have to be able to look at things from somebody else's uh, perspective. And not just our own. Biblical models here are Moses, Solomon, and John. Unity is built on five essentials then. Now here we got all these personalities, we have all these spiritual gifts that we've talked about, and yet God wants us to be unified. And so I want to just mention these five essentials quickly. Number one is maturity. God wants us to be mature. That's where the church will be built on, that we grow up. Don't stop thinking like children and, and be adults, he says, in your thinking. The maturity of believers is enhanced when each member is expressing their gift. And when each one is expressing their gift, the body of Christ is encouraged and strengthened as a result. And the unity of the body is enhanced. If a part is injured, the body goes to that injured part to help it. If one part suffers, the Bible says the whole body suffers with it. So there's a maturity that comes with that, being able to look beyond ourselves to somebody else who is hurting. And he does tell us in um, Ephesians 4, uh, 13, that we are to attain to the unity of the faith. 
Now, when he says that we are to attain to the unity of the faith, he means it's within reach. It's possible. And I think that's important for us to know. It's not something out of reach. It is possible to be unified with all the personalities and all the gifts. Secondly, diversity. In this diversity, there is a cohesion that develops because each part has to rely on the other parts. Now, there's different perspectives. Let me give you an example. Three men were hiking through a forest. When they came upon a large, raging, violent river, needing to get to the other side, the first man prayed, God, please give me the strength to cross the river. Poof. God gave him big arms and strong legs. He was able to swim across in about two hours after almost having drowned twice. After witnessing that, the second man prayed, God, please give me the strength and the tools to cross the river. Poof! God gave him a rowboat, strong arms, and strong legs, and he was able to row across in about an hour after almost capsizing once. Seeing what happened, the first two men, to the first two men, the third man prayed, God, please give me the strength, the tools, and the intelligence to cross this river. Poof! He turned him into a woman. She checked the map, hiked 100 yards upstream, and walked across the bridge. (laughs) See? Perspective. We all have a different perspective when we try to attack a problem, don't we? And that's why I need the input of a brother or sister in Christ. Because they're going to look at it totally different. Husbands, is that not true of our wives? (laughs) What about this? Well, I didn't think about that. <laughs> you know, just minor detail. Um, and so we got to think about those things. Unity is also built on humility. Pride breeds contention. It seeks to put people on different levels. Pride says, I'm at a higher level than you, and I'm more important than you, and my viewpoint is more valid than yours. And hence, that destroys unity. God wants us to be unified. Fourthly, it's built on truth. Whenever you communicate, it has to be based on truth, consistently telling the truth. John Ortberg writes uh, in his book, Loving Enough to Speak the Truth, He says, imagine picking up your car from the shop after a routine tune-up, and the technician says, this car is in great shape. Clearly, you have an automotive genius to take care of your car. Later Later that day, your brakes don't work. You find out you were out of brake fluid. You could have died. You go back to the shop, and you say, why didn't you tell me? The technician replies, well, I didn't want you to feel bad. Plus, to be honest, I was afraid you might get upset with me. I want this to be a safe place where you feel loved and accepted. You'd be furious. You'd say, I didn't come here for a little fantasy-based ego boost. When it comes to my car, I want the truth. And the same should be true of us. When we come into God's presence, we don't just want just happy cliches and plentiful platitudes. Don't we want the truth? Tell me the truth. 
so that I can change and grow and be what God wants me to be. When you go to the doctor, you don't want him to say, hey, you're healthy as can be and you've got a problem. You want him to tell you exactly what's wrong. Where is that, where is that at? Where is that spot? What is it about? Uh, the truth is pretty vital when it comes to our health, and it is for our spiritual health as well. And God wants us to live on the truth. And that's what builds unity. And the first, last one is love. Love. Unity is built on love. As I mentioned in one of the other messages, the clarity of the cross is brought into greater focus when each member is engaged in loving ministry. And that's what we need. The exercise of our spiritual gifts is to be done in light of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to make disciples. And spiritual gifts are to be understood in the context of the gospel message. Let me close with this. In his excellent motion picture, Mr. Holland's opus, Richard Dreyfus plays the role of a musician who desperately wants to compose music and become famous. He's very honest about this yearning early in the story. He winds up as a high school teacher uh, to save money until he and his wife can move and fulfill his dreams. Somewhere his, in his route, his values change. Almost against his will, he becomes a mentor for many of these students, not just their classroom teacher. He invests extra time with them after class. He gives them personal time and direction. He persists in his belief in them until many of them become somebody following their graduation. Toward the end of the film, Mr. Holland is forced to resign due to cutbacks in the school budget. He moans to a colleague that just the time you think you've really made a difference to people, you get hit with a reality check. He is depressed and frightened, not knowing what to do next, he, and not knowing if he's made a poor decision by staying a teacher. He's walking out of the school building for the last time when he hears students singing in the auditorium. He opens the door and he finds hundreds and hundreds of his former students who have returned to say thanks for his investment in their life. The state governor, one of his former students, said in her speech, rumor has it that Mr. Holland thinks his life is a failure because he always wanted to go to New York and get rich composing a symphony. Mr. Holland never got to New York and he never became rich. Then she looked at her former teacher and said, but Mr. Holland, if you consider yourself a failure, that's where you are wrong. Look around you. We are your symphony. And I think about as God looks around Bethesda Church, we are his symphony. He has given us spiritual gifts. He has given us abilities uh, to use. He has given us a personality. And he wants to use it all to make a symphony for his honor and his glory. May God help us do that until he calls us home. Let's stand for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment,
there's a lot to take in when we talk about the various functions of gifts and we talk about our personality. I do want to mention that on our church website, uh, we have put out a spiritual gifts inventory that you can go out, you can print it out, and you can fill it out. And I would encourage you to do that. If you've never taken one, it's out there, it's online. It's right on our homepage. Um, you can click on it, it'll come up. It's like 120 questions. And it can help you identify your passions and gifting that God has given you. And so I would encourage you to do that. And then coupled with your personality, and then you pray over that and say, God, where do you want me to serve in the body of Christ? Not if, <laughs> when, not even when he wants you to serve now. Um, where do you want me to serve? Uh, how do you want me to serve? Because there's really no bench warmers in the family of God. Not supposed to be. We're all to be involved in his work. To be his symphony. To make a sweet sound to the Lord. And nothing will do that more than when he brings all the gifts together and he brings all the personalities together and we are unified. It says the world will know we are Christians by our love. And our love is evident in our unity. And so I, I would encourage you, use your gifts and talents for the Lord. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's the first step. And I always try to give that opportunity because on any given Sunday, I don't know who might be here who might not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Because we are, the Bible says we are facing an eternal destiny. And there's only two places. There's heaven with Jesus Christ forever, or there's hell, eternal punishment and torment. And God has made provision for us to be in eternity with him if we're willing to accept his gift by faith. So I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, this could be your opportunity. I'll be willing to talk with you after church if you don't know him so that you might have a personal relationship with him. So please seek myself out or someone else before you leave today. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.